0: Good morning. We thank you for being with us and for giving part of your Easter to worship with us here. I think it's hard to find someone who is actually anti-Jesus. But there are a lot of people who don't appreciate being told that Jesus is necessary for their life. And perhaps that's how you feel today. Nothing against Jesus, you just don't want him pushed upon you too much. Uh, In your mind, you're thinking, why can't we just say Jesus is good for those who need his help? or those who are interested in it, and and just leave it at that. Who can argue with that kind of stance? However, what we celebrate this week, the, the death and the resurrection of Jesus reveals that he's simply too big for that. Jesus' resurrection declares that He is, in fact, indispensable. And so we're going to look at a few verses from the Apostle Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. And here Paul is speaking to the issue that every generation faces in which people hear about the resurrection of Jesus and it just seems too much for them. And so Paul writes these words, 1 Corinthians 15, we're going to read verses 14 to 19. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is empty. We are even found to be misrepresenting God, because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom He did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Our Heavenly Father, we ask that in this time, uh, you who live would speak to the hearts of each person here. Lord, we We know that you understand each one of us. Speak in the way that we need. Push past obstinance, ignorance, what we don't understand, our hurts, frustrations. Lord, speak to us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Without Jesus bodily raised from the dead... Christianity openly declares itself to be empty, foolish, and not worth your time. The Apostle Paul says in verse 14 if Christ is not raised, our preaching is empty. It's meaningless to talk this way about someone who has been dead for centuries. He adds that our faith is empty. It's foolish to trust in Jesus to hold us when he is lifeless himself. He adds that we're misrepresenting God. We're saying God has done something when he hasn't. If Christ has not been raised, he even goes as far to say as we're the most pitiful people in the world. We're giving ourselves and Asking one another as the church to be wholly committed to serving someone who is long dead and his body is but dust. The entire weight of Christianity, we openly declare all of it rests completely upon the person of Jesus Christ. The reality of his death for sin, and his bodily resurrection overcoming sin and death. Without that, Christianity is not worth a moment of your time. Now, if you're not a Christian, you don't think of yourself in that category, then why should Jesus' resurrection mean anything to you? if it's just something that those who call themselves Christians who go to church, those who are committing themselves, if it's just something for them to think twice and consider, why would that affect me? And Paul speaks to that in the middle of this passage. In verse 17, he makes one more statement about if Christ has not been raised from the dead. If Christ has not been raised, you are still in your sin. And that should matter to you. Uh, One, as, as someone who will die. And secondly, as someone who is a sinner. Now the part about that we all die, we recognize that. We may not want to think about it a lot, but we know that's real. It's something that we will have to face. The part about being a sinner, uh, we squirm a little bit more with that. Uh, well, obviously no one is perfect, uh, but I know a lot of people who are worse than me. In fact, I saw a couple of them in the parking lot coming across on their way in. it 's easy for us to minimize our sin it 's not that bad i haven 't hurt a lot of people. but verse seventeen says, However, you are still guilty of your sin you 're still guilty of each of your sins and and that guilt continues time May in our minds, uh, we kind of get forgetful. It doesn't seem that serious. God sees every sin as freshly as it was just committed. It is not forgotten. And we can't change that. We can do nothing to undo sin. Which means that each one of us will appear before God... Still bearing the guilt of our sin. And God is holy and God is completely just. And that reality has some unavoidable implications. That means there, there is a reckoning. God will judge sin, He, he has no choice. Because his very being, his nature is completely perfect and just. God must confront the sin in our life. He is incapable of not being completely just. And the better place that we speak of, the better place that we speak of others going to, we want to be there... Uh, The better place is completely barred from any sin entering it. For God will not have eternity to be a repetition of what has happened in this world. Now here, at this point then with our being faced with the realities of our lives and the evil in the world and of our sin. And it's not as though no one has noticed. And it's not as if there are not other religions that address that, that speak about sin and, and what we do to change our lives. But here is where biblical Christianity is completely set apart. Indeed, actually opposite of every human religion. Every human religion says, here are the things you must believe and do, and if you're good enough at them, if you are faithful enough, if you consistently do the things we tell you and lay before you, then you have some hope that God may be pleased or whoever it is out there. And however many of them there are. That's all human religion. Let's find a way to make God happy by what we do. Now that appeals to our pride because it means we're somewhat in control. Uh, It means, okay, I've done some things wrong, but there are worse people, so I can still think I'm not that bad. There are all sorts of ways in which that's appealing to us. Problem is, it's just simply not true. Whatever you do, whatever good you do, it doesn't change the realities of the sin that already is still in your life. And it doesn't change the reality about God and how he chooses to respond to sin. No religious activity, no degree of good works can undo the fact that we are still in our sin. We're just still there. That's true of us. Christianity is opposite in that it declares our salvation has nothing to do with our works. In its entirety, it rests on what Christ did for us. And will we trust in him and present ourselves to him that he will bring change and transform us. That flows out of a gratitude to him. But what saves us is something we cannot take the least bit of pride in. What saves us is the mercy of God to send his son to die on a cross and take our guilt and pay the price that our sin deserves. In First Timothy chapter 1 We read, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ came into the world to save sinners. That makes Jesus necessary. We cannot override our sin. And so Christ came into the world, God being born of men, God joining himself to human nature. And God, man, Jesus, he never sinned, but he went to the cross and there took our guilt upon himself and the judgment of God fell upon him in our place. Works were needed to save us, but it's the works that Jesus did. We receive it by faith, by entrusting ourselves to him who carried our sin. Jesus was born, died, and raised for one purpose, to save sinners. He is an example, but that's not why he came. He was the greatest of teachers. It was not why he came. He came because he alone could pay the price. And that's in his heart what he desired. Because he wants those of us created in his image to spend eternity with him. That's the heart of God for you today. If Easter is false, then no one has resolved our sin problem. It's still there. And we cannot save ourselves. And if Jesus is not God and not raised, then no one else can either. The importance of The resurrection is in what it proves about Jesus. We can say lots of things about him. What does the resurrection demonstrate to us? There are two things. The first, who he is, who he claimed to be, and he claimed to be God in flesh. The resurrection proves he was not just a man. The Bible says he is declared the son of God by the resurrection from the dead. That's rather unique. In all of human history, who has been dead three days and by his own power came out of the grave. Physically, not just his soul continuing to exist. Physically, flesh and blood came Forth from the grave. So Jesus is not just another example. The wondrous he is. He is not a religious option. He is not just an influencer. He is the Savior. Secondly, Jesus' resurrection proves that the purpose of his death. Why did Jesus die? It, it was accomplished. Death is God's penalty for sin. Jesus died to pay that penalty. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says this The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What sin deserves is death. Jesus went into death carrying sin, received the wage, the penalty God places upon it. When the dead body was raised, that indicated all sin that he bore had been paid for. The guilt erased. Jesus' resurrection shows there is no penalty left for the sins for which he died. And so the implications of The physically raised Jesus. Implications are powerful. Wonderful. Implications that everyone here desperately needs. That your sin can be completely forgiven. Everything you don't want anyone else here to know. Everything that you're trying to show is not you. Everything hidden, everything shameful, everything maybe you don't take as seriously as God has done. But your guilt can be erased, erased, gone. Never to be raised up again by God, ever. And you can find rest for your soul in the only one who can give complete rest we're all we're all looking for peace of mind peace of heart we're, we're looking for stability we're, we're looking for life to work we're trying to navigate all that's happening around us and My guess is you have the same opinion as I do. It doesn't look like it's getting better out there. And you give me the list of names of who's gonna fix it. In my lifetime, they have never been in office or even run for it. Some are better than others. But none of them are going to fix your life, or this world. We need someone who can. We need, we need someone who can. And no one can present to us what Jesus does. I came to die for you. And I can show I paid the price of sin by my coming forth from the grave. And the better place that we we like to speak of, it truly is better. Where Christ is, truly is better. The last verse we read says, but in fact... Christ has been raised from the dead. And then it continues the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. It is referring to the reality that Jesus being raised from the dead is. The demonstration that all those who have trusted in him will one day be raised and we will be gathered to his kingdom where we will be with him. His power over death shows that he can give that to others. And there is a day when the souls of all and the bodies will be raised to be with him. Heaven is not just some ethereal place where souls float about, where even the thought of it just doesn't draw your attention too much. Heaven is a reality of the God who created this world, created it wondrous, created us to enjoy the world. And he will have his way. He will have what the Bible calls a new heaven, new earth, new creation, new bodies, living in a world where sin never enters. And our hearts are never disturbed again. The truth is, that's so good we can't even comprehend it. Because we've never experienced it. how can we know that Jesus really is alive? And many have tried to disprove it, but all, all they really have, it, if you really want to give time to proofs of the resurrection of Jesus, what, what has been said to disprove it? What are the proofs that it has? The, the proofs against Jesus' resurrection are pretty much summed up in this. Well, it just couldn't have happened. So you can't scientifically prove that he was raised from the dead. Well, It's because it's not a scientific reality. It's a historical reality. But no matter how many proofs we could give Uh, Any proof can be pushed aside or ignored. People do that with all sorts of things all the time. The the truly convincing proof, and here's where it gets good about Jesus being alive. uh, The convincing proof is when the living person interacts with you. And because Jesus is alive, Jesus can speak to your heart. You can Meet him, know him. You can be convinced completely in your soul because he does live. And his death shows he does care. Let Jesus invite Jesus to prove himself to you to demonstrate himself. Yet you have to do so honestly, and he knows whether you're being honest or not. If there is truth about Jesus that you've never seen or believed before, if there is truth about Jesus, do you want to know it? Then tell him. If it's true that there's accountability for my sin and I will stand before God and judgment will come. If it's true you did something about that. That you can save me. That you're willing to save me. That you're alive to save me. Lord Jesus, if that's true, will you show me, speak to me. he is glad to do that as he has for many here who are just as ornery and stubborn as you. Some of them worse. How do we receive forgiveness and life from Jesus? The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 10 if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. To confess means to acknowledge you need him. You are a sinner that cannot save yourself. Confess, I am a sinner who needs God. And to believe God raised him from the dead means you're believing what he died for and what his resurrection accomplishes. That Jesus alone paid the penalty for our sin. And if you're not sure you have that much faith, then ask him to give it to you. He gives the faith that we need. No one comes up with it by themselves. Not one person. Everyone who has true faith is because God graciously... Gave them the faith. Everyone who sees and believes, it's because God opened their eyes. God spoke to them. And he will do that for you. Jesus really is necessary. And nothing in your life will ever be more necessary. And so that means a response is necessary. Necessary. And putting Jesus off, that's a response. That's saying, no. That's a form of rejection. So how will you respond to Christ who lives today? Since he is alive, he is here now. Because he's alive, he says, call on me. And I will not cast you out. Is God at work in your heart right now? There's there's a prodding there. You know there's a prodding there. Do not push him off. The prodding is his grace to you. And that prodding may not continue. And part of you might say, well, yeah, I'd welcome that. That would be the worst thing that could happen to you. God stops prodding your heart. Do you want to believe? Come to him with what you have. However meager of soul and of faith and understanding, none of it is too meager, too little. And he will add to it and he will make it sufficient. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you, the living God, and we ask that you who lives would speak and act, that your arm, which is not weak, would reach into hearts. Give a sight to what is true. Give us courage to step out and and receive what what you say you are offering. May the the thoughts of the ideas that this is going to threaten our life or take something from us. May we see you who loves us. You can only give greater than what we have now. Lord, we ask that you would do this in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.